Hi everyone, Tiffany here with a super quick note that this podcast was recorded as part of a previous bundle season. That means that the dates that you're about to hear for the bundle, well, they're no longer correct. If you're interested in seeing what the dates are for this year's sale, please visit thebellydancebundle.com. There you'll find all the up-to-date information on our upcoming bundle. While the dates may be wrong and the class mentioned here isn't available through us any longer, many of our guests still have their courses available for purchase individually, so please do feel free to click through to their offerings and take a look. You're going to want to check it out after hearing how brilliant they are. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. It's Yala Rocks episode 20 and today it's about musicality and style. Musicality and style are two of the biggest things in our dance. You hear about them all the time. The context varies, but the terms stay the same. Perhaps you're learning more about musicality and expressing it through improv, or you've heard mention of style but have no idea what your style even is. Neither is an easy thing to master, but they can be so much fun. And today, Amanda Rose joins us to talk about them. You can hear that she is passionate about the subject today, and I can't wait to get into it. She discusses with us the importance of musicality and why that's where the freedom lies, how advice to have your own style is way too vague and a way to go about developing your own, and her personal method of mapping songs so that you can take into account all of the wonderful musical choices that were made so that you can make informed dance choices as you move through a song. This interview is packed with goodies, but before we dive in, we need to celebrate. You see, we are on the precipice of one of the most exciting days of the year. It's actually one of my favorite, to be honest. It's the day that the bundle launches. That's right, we made it everyone! The bundle launches tomorrow, October 16th. I can't believe it's finally here. It's like freaking Christmas for me, everybody. Or like, reverse Christmas? Oh man, I'm Santa Claus! If you're new to the podcast, welcome. The 21 Days of Belly Dance and the reason that we started this podcast when we did all revolve around our annual Belly Dance Bundle sale. It's basically just a big party. The Belly Dance Bundle is a curated group of products available for one week only that is designed to help you move forward in your dance all at an amazingly low price. We're also doing some really exciting things this year to help you stay on track, but I'll talk about those tomorrow. For now, on with the show. dancers and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. I'm your host Tiffany and joining us today for one of our belly dance bundle minis is an internationally acclaimed instructor and performer based in Barcelona, Spain and she has her master's degree in movement therapy, Amanda Rose. Hi Amanda, Hi. welcome to the podcast. Hi guys, hello everyone out there. Hi Tiffany. How you doing today? I'm good, I'm good, I'm doing good. How are you? I am tired but I'm good. <laughs> right, yeah, I hear that. So we are going to talk about musicality today, but before we jump into that huge topic, because musicality Mm -hmm. is such a huge part of our dance, um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, how did you find belly dance? How did you, how did you get into the, it spiraled out of control moment? (laughs) Right, right. 
that got you here. It does happen, doesn't it? Um, so my story is kind of uh, like, it's kind of like a meet cute, you know, it's kind of random. Um, basically, the easiest version is that like when I was like 16, my best friend at the time, or we weren't best friends, but we were good friends at that time. She's still my best friend to today. And she was like, I want to take a belly dance class. And I was like, yeah, me too. And then like, I think she like walked away. And in my mind, I was like, I have no idea what belly dance is. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what I just agreed to <laughs> and she ended up finding uh, a class that was within walking distance from both of our houses and she started taking it I think for like three months and at this point I was like really big into athletics I played soccer for like a decade and it was a, a pretty like hardcore part of my life like it's influenced a lot of how I look at dance and how I um, like structure my classes and how I deal with my personal clients and how I deal with um, my and my dance company and things of that nature because I come from an athletic background and a team athletic background and a serious athletic background so it kind of uh, it's very different than like a hobbyist approach to dance if that makes sense so mm -hmm. I w I've always noted that that's been like a really big influence for me and how I perceive things and see things in the industry and um, Basically, I was like, okay, well, I started coming and I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, I like it. And um, at this point in my life, I was very much a tomboy. Like I said, I was really big into sports. I just, there was not a lot. I didn't feel like I had a lot of feminine components. I didn't really feel very girly. And I felt like this was just like the most uber feminine thing possible. Like there was <laughs> As a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, there wasn't anything more feminine that you could possibly do, essentially, than belly dance. So I think it became something for me where I was like, oh, I can do something that's girly and feminine and it kind of has this different way of using the body versus like soccer and athletics. It's just very like, can be kind of like really hard and robotic and aggressive. And this kind of pulled me into my body in a completely different way. Um, I then did um, my senior year of high school. I then did an independent study and I focused it on belly dance. So I went to at the end, I don't know, in the middle because Rikasa was always in March. I went to Rikasa like, what was that, like 14 or 15 years ago? And I did the week long. And I, you know, I got to take with like Momo Caduce and Suhaila and, and a lot of other cool people. And it was just, you know, I walked into that auditorium in Richmond where they used to have it. And it was just like, oh my God, I called my best friend. I was like, you have no idea what's going on here. Like this is a huge <laughs> like convention center filled with costumes. And, you know, because I was like right before, I mean, I, I'm a millennial technically, but like. I was still a part of the belly dance community before YouTube hit, before the internet really hit, before you could just like easily go online and buy a costume. You know, when people were still, you know, really having to get things from person to person, word of mouth, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't such a huge connected network at that point in time. So, so yeah. And then when I, I moved on, I went to college and I found, I made sure that there was belly dance in the area where I was going to go to school. Um, and like, uh, and I got into studying really intensively my, I think like my freshman, sophomore year with Ava Fleming and like the rest was really kind of history. And that's, it spiraled out of control. And it did. And now, 
It's spiral out of control and chin, chin, chin. Actually, this is, um, this September is my eighth year anniversary of being, um, a full-time dance teacher and performer. So we've been doing That's this. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about musicality today now that we have a little bit of your background. Can you give us the definition of musicality in your own words for people who maybe are baby belly dancers and right. not quite so sure? Man, that's, that's like, honestly, that's a, I feel like you put me on the spot. A I know, right? I started, I started it with the bombshell. <laughs> right? Define the term of our dance. <laughs> Define the dance eloquently. Um, so I would say in its simplest form, musicality is how you choose to visually interpret what you're hearing in the music. So your musicality, I believe, are your choices that you make in how you express the music on your body. I love that definition because it gives you the leeway of personal style. Well, I mean, it's got to. I mean, like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Musicality is all personal. And if, you know, and we can, we can go into, if it's not personal, I mean, what's the point? But we can go into that in another conversation. But it, it has to be. Uh, I'm a huge, huge promoter in people dancing how they want to dance and dancing like themselves and cultivating dancers that um, that are more knowledgeable and freer to make their own choices in movement. And musicality for me is a is a really big thing because it's kind of like it's it's your personality in movement, basically. So everybody chooses to do things differently. Everybody listens to different parts of the music, people hear different parts, people like want to focus on different parts. And then the way you physically represent it on the body is like a whole nother level of how you can choose. Well, everybody listens to the violin, but you know, she's running around and doing a bunch of turns and she's like on the ground going slow. Like there's just this plethora of, of options that you could really do. And I think all of that is really amazing and important. And so that my, so my next question is, why do you feel that it's so important for dancers of any level to cultivate this? It's, it's important for dancers of any level to cultivate it because that's, in my opinion, that's where the freedom is. Um, I think that, that I think that dancers, um, baby to veteran, young and old, um, when you're in a class, you're learning technique and you're learning how to move, but, the point of, I mean, the point of dance is like bottom line is expression and, you know, whatever, whatever that expression is, because it can be like of entertainment value. It can be of social connection. It can be, uh, you know, like expressing something, you know, profound or communal, you know, uh, if we go back like a long time to like, the essential like origin of man and human and how tribes danced and what the dances that they did, what they represented, you know, different kinds of important events in life and the, the, the desire to create an expression and a cohesion for those moments and those feelings. And um, there's nothing wrong with following other people when you dance. Uh, Because it's also a way to learn what your options are and to see what other people's choices are. Um, But I think as a baby dancer, the sooner you are 
given essentially like the platform to know that like all of this is your playground, like here you go. Um, I think it gives dancers the freedom to start making their own choices in movement. And when you're making your own choices in movement, you're expressing yourself. And that expression within it of itself is really important as, um, as a dance movement therapist, you know, like everything that we do in, in movement and, and our choices have like meaning and background. And if you're just following what somebody else does, or you're just copying what somebody else does, it, it doesn't cultivate or represent any real expression for yourself. So it, it can be kind of um, superficial in a certain kind of a way. So I think the sooner that you give dancers the option to, or not really the option because the option is there, but not everybody knows that that's where they should go or where they can go. And, um, and I think it's really important because the longer people spend in this, in the community and the more they dance, you know, like the more evolved they get, the more choices that they have, you know, it, it, I think it's important to give people that freedom and that liberty uh, so that they can express themselves. Bottom line, you, I would want, I want my students to express themselves. I want my students to explore themselves and I want my students to um, experience and grow within themselves and within the dance. And if they don't feel free to be themselves in movement, then that's not really going to happen. I love the way you look at musicality. I feel like when I've talked to teachers in the past about musicality it's it's based so much more in the music like and it's something that everybody does in relation to the music and not necessarily in relation to themselves and their choices Mm. and I I actually really like that switch because it like you said it gives dancers the playground right right it's it's all about your interpretation of the thing and I also think that it it starts to delineate a little bit of the difference that you see in classes where you are just following the teacher and you're learning, you're learning their musicality and you're learning mm-hmm. what their choices were so that you can then take it back to your practice and be like, okay, this is one of my options. On the right. This is, one of, this is one of the slides right. on the playground. Which is why I think it's really important to dance with a ton of different people. Um, I've never really been like a purist, so to speak. Um, I've enjoyed taking, you know, all, all of the dance you know, styles that are in the genre umbrella of oriental dance and belly dance and the folk styles and the fusion styles. I gravitate towards some, but I've never shied away from taking other ones because I just think it's such a great influence in terms of like opening your mind to another possibility. Um, Like I said, because I'm not a purist, so I really don't think there's one way to do things and one way to have to express something. Um, And I think that that's evident when you just look at people within a style itself, you know, like, for example, if you take Egyptian style and you look at Dina and you look at Rhonda and you look at Tito and you look at, you know, one more dancer, you know, they all really do different stuff. They're all Egyptian. (laughs) They're not all making the same musicality choices. They're not all making the same interpretive choices of what they want to work with in the music. So, you know, I I don't know. I think, I think it's more important and, um, yeah, I think the the playground is is a is a really important and I look at it from both sides. I know like right now I'm talking continuously about the options and the playground that is who the dancer is, but I when I create and when I work with dancers, I also incorporate the concept of structure and context, you know, what kind of song is it? Where are you going to perform it? 
what instruments are you playing with what's the full context of the song you know and and essentially bringing your part to the table because so much of that is you know is like considered like you said people focus on the music for musicality and that's mm-hmm. fantastic but we all just like you know if there was a right answer we'd all end up doing the same thing that's so true. there's not a right answer so, you know, when you look at, you know, I think of breaking down the music is as essentially like, what are my options? Like, I don't think of it as in I have to do this or I have to do that. I think about it in terms of context and, and options. You know, like this is happening in this section. This is happening in this section. If I have a song that's really awesome, but it's monotonous and the whole thing is the whole, you know, the same way all the way through, where can I find minute details and changes and things that are different? And then in those sections, I will focus on bringing those out so I can make the other sections stand apart, etc. But you can do all of that and think about all of those things. And it doesn't even bring onto the table yet were you as a dancer? How do you want to perform? What is what? Are, what's your musical choice? What's your personality? What's your take on this piece? So I feel like there's two these two large components, and I don't see personally enough these days of people um, supporting their students and dancers feeling like they're in the the kind of environment that allows them to be you know, exploratory allows them to really like dig into their own choices and what they want. I just see a lot of people teaching a lot of choreographies and, you know, like the concepts are within the choreography and that's what you get. And you essentially have to break it down yourself. But if you're not at the point where you can like look at a choreography and be like, Oh, she specifically did this and this and this with the musicality in this section. And I like that. And that's different than how so-and-so uses this. And then this is, how do I feel about that? Do either of these two other artists like uh, compare or contrast to what it is that I would like to do in these sections? And do I feel secure enough and empowered enough to actually make my own choices when I see these fantastic people doing something completely different? I think, and that ties into something that I think I've experienced in my dance is that I hear a lot, I've heard a lot over my decade of dancing that you need to come up with your own style. You need to dance in your own style. But what I never really got was how. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, what does that mean? How do you get there? It's like this really vague advice that doesn't necessarily help a lot. Right. It's it's not helpful at all. It's like, it's like, oh, you're super stressed out. Relax. Relax. Like, like if I could. Um, Yeah, no. And that happens a lot where like things are super vague. You know, it's the reason everybody teaches choreography is because it's way easier than having to demonstrate a theory and give people options and try and like, put put things actually in place and on display you know like not not that I'm trying to like call people out but teaching choreography is really easy it's yeah. the easiest thing that you can do as a professional teacher you know like everybody well not everybody some people draw towards improv but you know quote unquote you know like everybody can make a choreography and then everybody can teach it to somebody else you know like that doesn't you know, necessarily display a breakdown of theory, a breakdown of approach, um, a breakdown of musicality, of the context and why you're doing what you're doing and how that relates to other styles and other people. You're just doing what's easiest and most natural for you and then asking somebody else to copy you. So, and hope that they learn 
and some hope of that those they, things and in hope the process. That they learn some of those things through osmosis. Um, you know, cr- creating your own style is is really difficult. You know, you see, you know, you see a lot of people struggle to really do that. You see so many people like in that intermediary between like the baby dancers and like the pros and you see a lot of people in the middle you recognize when somebody looks like themselves mm-hmm. you can recognize when somebody's not doing somebody else's style or somebody else's dance like you can feel it because it, it's it's an energy <laughs> about the way that they move and the decisions that they make and it is really obvious when somebody is dancing like somebody else and essentially like they learned how to dance by taking what they got from other people and essentially putting it on their own body without going through a creative process that supports them to kind of do their own thing. Um, One of the things that I will like interestingly say about all of this is that like a lot of teachers run around and teach choreographies, especially like a lot of, um, you know, like Egyptian teachers run around and they teach choreographies. They're all trying to look different from each other. None of them want to look like each other. Mm-hmm. And everybody's running around copying their styles, trying to look like them when they refuse <laughs> to look like anybody else. Because to them, it's all about individuality and all about de- being different and standing out. So, like, it's this interesting, interesting parallel um, where we have a lot of people trying to look like them and they themselves would never want to look like anybody else. And then you go into things like competitions where, you know, it's like you have to have this clear, like, oriental style, you know, and or, you know, people who are super individualistic don't always necessarily, like, you know, like that girl doesn't really understand what she's doing or she's doing stuff that's totally different, you know, whereas somebody who's, like, more cookie cutter is like, oh, she understands. So they'll tell the girl who doesn't know, you know, that's doing something individual, uh, like, you need to learn, the, you know, the right way to do things. And then they'll tell the other girl, you need to have your own style. <laughs> so. Get stuck between a rock and a hard place for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for people listening, let's move away from like the vague advice, right? What kind of exercises would you suggest that people start incorporating into their practice into, since we're talking a lot about like choreographies and workshops that they can take with them to these events to mm-hmm. start cultivating their own style and their own musicality within the world that they're given of dance? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a fantastic question. Um, <laughs> I I work a lot with song maps. Um, So I like to, um, I have a song map and I think it has like eight columns. And essentially like I'll go through a song and this is just a process I started doing. And eventually like I realized how helpful it was. And eventually I realized how not a lot of people were taking the time to break the music down actually. Um, My whole point sometimes with um with students and with dancers is that if you can't hear it you can't use it if you don't know what you're listening to if you don't know what's going on you're not really going to see all the possibilities that are available for you so um essentially what i do is i have a song map and then it has like all of these columns and each column has like a different criteria of information and then i go down in like uh, time stamps and i slowly move down the song and, and I kind of like break it up into sections. And these sections can be however I hear the music. It doesn't have to be like official. Like ironically enough, not that I haven't done 
you know, some training in music and that I haven't taken classes and workshops, et cetera, et cetera, and all of this stuff. But to me, if you can recognize what you're hearing and translate that into a, a corresponding movement that creates a similar quality visually as it does on an auditory level, you don't need to know what the rhythm's called. Like if you can, if you can translate it into movement, not that people shouldn't go out and learn rhythms and not that people shouldn't learn what instruments are being played, but you know, what's the difference between, Oh, is this section from, you know, like eight seconds to 16 seconds or is it eight seconds to 24 seconds? Or is that two different sections? It really doesn't matter. Like, you know, like it's about how, how you hear it. Exactly. How you hear it. However you hear it, let that, you know, like let, let that be the breakdown for you, but push yourself to hear as much as possible in each section. So, you know, sometimes I'll make sections that are nice and big and sometimes I'll make them, you know, like, uh, like this four count breakdown with the percussion or like, you know, like a five second canoe interlude or whatever. And then I'll go through and I'll write down, you know, like what's the main instrument? What's, what are the secondary instruments? What percussion am I hearing? What rhythm is being played? What kind of tempo do we have in the music? You know, what's the context in the song? What kind of movements do I see here? What kind of style is being played, etc. And I use all of these to essentially display all of the information that I'm being fed in like one, two, three, four seconds, and then put it all out on the board and essentially be, what can I do with all of this? And my favorite, my favorite column of all of this that I feel like people really underutilize and have a really hard time thinking about is the context column, which essentially says, you know, like I'm looking at this song as a whole, I'm looking at this material as a whole. And if I, you know, essentially kind of like a puzzle, like this piece is going to do this for me. So I need this piece to do this for me. You know, I've got five slow sections in this song. That is a lot of slow sections. How can I get the most out of each of them? Well, I'll go into each slow section and look at what do they have different? What do they have in common? You know, if I'm going to do one, it's going to be very floaty and very arabesque. I might keep that out of the rest of the other sections. I might think about, you know, like, oh, it's five. Maybe I'll do some floor work. I don't really do a lot of floor work, but hey, <laughs> you know, like whatever you want to do, you know, which one of these sections has the most interesting percussion in it? Which one is the most emotive or expressive? And I'll essentially be like, I'm going to get really emotional in this section. So, and this one is a little like lighter, so I'm going to be really bouncy. So I'm creating like a full view context of how to use different sections so that you're create, getting the most out of your music and being without overwhelming and doing too many things. You're still creating dynamics and diversity that also can feel like cohesion. So that sounds like you listen to that song a lot before you even start choreographing it. I, fall, I usually fall in love with songs before I choreograph them. And I'm like one of those people that has like a relationship with my song. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, you know, th- I can probably do this process, you know, with a five minute song and maybe like a half an hour or something like that. But I have dancers that do it and they say it takes them two or three hours because when you're not used to it, you're not used to 
what you're listening to. And what happens is most of the time dancers slow down and they listen to these sections and all of a sudden it's like the song comes alive. It's like Fantasia and all this stuff <laughs> is like ping, boom, splash, splish, boom, clash. All of a sudden you hear all this stuff that you didn't necessarily hear before because you were just hearing the overarching concept. You were not really, Digging you know, in. You weren't really taking in the details and, and then thus you're not able to capitalize on them. And after half an hour of listening to the same song, you start to hear those little pieces. Yeah. Well, not even half an hour. I go through it piece by piece. So I'll go through and I'll hit pause and I'll create all of the sections. So I mm. have my timestamp sections and then I go through each section and I'll listen to one section like eight or 10 times back to back until I get it what it is that I want out of that section, fill up all my columns. You know, one of the columns that, you know, are really important, not just like, cause there's the, the columns that are specific to what, you know, like what is the song that are not optional? Like, you know, what, what's the, you know, what's the main melodic instrument, you know, like it's going to be the same for everybody if everybody understands which instrument it is. But when I ask, you know, but the column that says feeling, Mm -hmm. Or the column that says, like, what does it make you want to do? Like, what moves do you see in this section? That's going to be, you know, everybody's going to go for something different. You know, you should go for something different. So, um, you know, feeling is important to me because the energy of the song can really, you know, the energy of the section can really dictate what kind of energy you want to have in your body. And then you can think about what moves correlate with that kind of energy. Um, and then, of course, context, which is my favorite section. So for people who are looking to do this to a song, like they're like, okay, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to create a song map for this. What columns do you think are absolutely necessary to be included? Mm -hmm. And then the rest are just like what happens to be in the music. They're all necessary. They're, they're all important. They're all important. Because the first, right. So the first part, so the first part is what's actually in the song. Mm -hmm. The second part is your interpretation of the song. Okay. So both are totally necessary because you have to be able to actually hear what's going on and then you have to have an individual opinion about it. You know, you can't have one without, you can yeah, have an individual opinion. You can have an individual opinion, but if you have no idea what's going on in the music, it's not going to look connected at all. And you can know exactly what's going on in the music, but if you don't have a personal opinion or a developed feeling or idea about what you want to do it's gonna look like four counts of this and four counts of that and eight counts of this and two counts of that it'll look like a cookie cutter you know like paint by numbers and and there's no authentic feeling to what someone's doing you said you like yours has like eight columns and some of them are like the different instruments the different things that are happening in the music so those are variable based on what someone's listening to but the columns that kind of span every single song would be feeling context percussion almost every song would have that except if you're doing like a toxin mm -hmm. uh main melodic instrument every song would have that unless you're doing a drum solo secondary melodic instrument most all songs even if it's just a violin and a percussion 20 bucks says that there's a lead violin and there's backup violins that are right. playing something else you know like um, you know, the actual rhythm that's being played by the percussion, not just the per what percussion is present, because you can have the hand drum, you can have sagat, you can have the Torah, you can have uh, the rick, you can have the tabla, you can have the, you know, like, you know, the sounds are different. That's, that's why it matters. Mm -hmm. um, 
So those those sections are always going to be there. Always going to. I mean, if you have music, all mu- almost all music has melody and percussion. Yeah. So you know there are select styles that don't, but pretty much all of them have those things. So even if you use Western music, those things are going to be there. Um, and then as you go down in the timestamp, essentially as things change in each section, you change out what those things are. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. So that gives people a little bit of a jumping off point to kind of fill out those columns and go into using this technique with their music to kind of bring out their musicality. Totally. So this is a very involved process, right? You sit down. It is. Do you have any advice for people who maybe want to train a little bit of their musicality, but they would like to do it off of their practice time, like their designated practice time, like maybe throughout the day? is just listening to music is yeah. obviously a good, a good place to start. But even just, you know, daydreaming about that workshop that they took, mm-hmm. <laughs> breaking it down. Do you have any advice on things that people can do outside of that designated practice time? Yeah. Um, so like, yes, like you said, listening to music, because the more you listen to something, the, you know, the more these things kind of like start to stand out and things that you connect with personally will kind of shine. Um, because sometimes we make the, Um, assumption that the choices that we make are like lame or boring when because we naturally make them and we don't necessarily think that they're that interesting for whatever reason and um, we totally underestimate the fact that other people are not going to make those choices would never come to that conclusion and that our choice is actually quite special and individual so something that you can do is also watching watching what other people do and uh, I like to do this in in workshops in terms of like watching people you know the teacher's choice on what they choose to use in the music especially especially so like if you've performed to a song and you think you know that song and you love that song go watch somebody else dance to it because it will rock your world in terms of looking at somebody else's complete different approach to the music they're going to hear different things they're going to use different accents they're going to make different choices and it will kind of give you this reference point of you know it's not good or bad or right or wrong but it's different and you can see it from style to style but definitely with like certain certain kind of famous songs um there are certain songs like everybody dances to there's lots and lots of different ways to use the music so i think watching what other people do not necessarily as a way to like steal their moves i'm actually like one of those people who stays off youtube who does not watch a lot of other people's material um but as a way to think about musicality and if you do want to kind of dive into it, not just looking like, oh, that was pretty or, oh, that was nice, but what did they do? Like actually bring to like consciousness, you know, what happened in movement with connection to musicality. Um, you know, like you said, people are like, you know, like you need your own style. There's often, you know, like not a lot of support in the process to create that. Well, you know, it happens to be really similar in terms of musicality sometimes because people, you know, like we said, they teach choreography, you follow me, this is a way to do things, you follow somebody else, that's a way to do things. But if you start to think of it a little more strategically in terms of looking at a dancer and not just looking at what whether or not it's good or you connect with it or you do or you don't, but what is it that you're actually looking at? 
Like, what do you, what do you, what are you seeing? You know, like what part of the music are they choosing to use? How are they displaying it on their body? What's the technical approach for their execution? All of these things have an effect with how the movement is read and how we feel about it as the audience to receive it. So I think that, you know, it's very, very Western and I'd never, you know, I'd never expect like, you know, like a native, like, you know, somebody who's, you know, this was their native dance, social dance or folk dance. I never expect them to ever think like this, but we are Westerners and we do think about stuff like this and we do want these very mind body kind of ways to approach things that aren't just you, I do and you do, but you know, the theory and the structure and the breakdown that enables us to kind of like do more things and feel more free as Westerners, we look for that structure. We look for that kind of environment to understand. And from that point of understanding, we then feel free to make more choices. So I would, you know, challenge people to watch dancers and try and verbally articulate the musicality choices of another dancer. I love that because I think we we take those for granted when we watch another dancer perform. We, we're not thinking about necessarily their choices in relation to the music. We're just thinking about their dance. Right. And most of the time it's just like, I don't like her or like, oh, she's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like, but it's not it's too very Yeah, exactly. It's two very blanket statements. And I don't think a lot of times people can really articulate what that is. I challenge people to be able to articulate it, like actually take the time to be able to articulate what makes something feel different and why. And um, like in the, in the musicality series for the belly dance bundle, you know, it's not easy to just pick part styles apart. It's not easy to say this style is like this and this style is like this because there's so much gray area, there's so mm -hmm. much overlap, but the intention that you do something with and the energy that you do something with makes a really big difference. So in the process of actually creating this series, it was a lot of work for me as a dancer to be like, how do I really create this kind of expression? Because we do two combinations in two different styles to the same section of music, you know, it's like, how do I interpret, literally interpret this song differently for this approach and for this approach, keeping in mind that all of these rules are totally flexible. You can say so-and-so in this style and they don't do this and somebody will find a video and they'll show you somebody of that style doing Who does? that. You know, you can't make blanket statements like that. You know, there's these really flexible structures and these rules that are essentially like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the matrix. Some rules you can bend and some rules you can break. <laughs> some you can't. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's never, it's never black and white, which is really important to remember. And then, you know, and that's why I always come back to this place of personal expression, personal interpretation. The more knowledge you have, the more you're able to make a choice. Because if you don't know what you're listening to in the music, you don't have as many choices. If you don't have as many choices, you're limited artistically, you're limited creatively, you're limited in expression. So you know, it's, it's all about giving yourself the choice and, you know, the choices and then allowing yourself to have the freedom with the knowledge that you have to make those decisions. Um, you know, some people say I have an Egyptian style and, 
I don't say yes. I don't say no. I don't know what I do. <laughs> you know, I, I let myself be myself in movement. I look for what it is that I want to do and how I want to express myself. If that falls more in line with a Turkish style or a Lebanese style or an Egyptian style, that is what it is, but it's not my objective. Awesome. Everyone. So take that, imbue it into your dance. Um, <laughs> I think that that is just like gold star advice across the board. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like so happy that we we ended up talking about musicality and styles because I think it really is just one of those things that's just so vague in our dance education and I, it doesn't need to be. And so we've, we've kind of given people some, some ways to go from there. So everyone, Amanda's course in the 2019 Ballet Dance Bundle is musicality and style. Um, it's one of her courses from 2019 and it is amazing. I actually took it when it was live. Uh, <laughs> so I highly recommend everybody check it out. Um, the bundle will be on sale this year from October 16th to the 23rd. If you're interested in seeing more of from Amanda there, but if you are not grabbing the bundle or if you are listening far in the future, Amanda, how can people connect with you on the internet? Definitely. Um, my website is amandarosedance.com. So you can check out all of my Amanda Rose online classes, series, personal coaching, etc. I'm on um, Facebook and Instagram, Amanda Rose Dance as well. So yeah, come find me, Amanda Rose Dance. And she's always running new series and new dance classes. So definitely get on the mailing list, even if you aren't planning on taking one right away, because I promise you one will come along with the topic that you are very, very interested in. She spans, she spans a whole bunch of different topics with her classes and it's super Yay. fun. <laughs> I do, I do, I do. I keep, I keep it changing up. I really try and make it varied. I try not to repeat very much uh, topic wise that I did in the previous year. I definitely am constantly, everything is always new combinations, new material, new approach, new musicality. I try and keep it as new as possible so that, you know, everybody has new stuff to play with and, uh, you know, keeping it fun. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And Amanda, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Bye. See, I told you packed with goodies. I know I'm going to be coming back to this interview to reference the song mapping and try it out for my next choreography. Musicality is one of my favorite things to study and tying it in this way to personal style makes so much sense. With that freedom that Amanda talks about though, there is some fear, right? Alia talked about this in her podcast as well. Having that kind of freedom is terrifying. So if you want, you can take it in bite-sized chunks to get started. There's no need to head off and song map and choreograph an entire song in your developing style. Just pick a part of a song that you love. Perhaps just the first 30 seconds of the entrance or a middle section of a song that you're obsessed with. Starting small can help combat that feeling of, oh man, how am I supposed to do all of this? You start small and you implement the idea that you cannot do it wrong. Remember, Amanda even pointed this out, and I quote, we totally underestimate the fact that other people are not going to make those choices. They would never come to that conclusion and our choice is actually quite special and individual. I'm going to have to go back and pull a whole bunch of quotes from this one. So take away the idea that you can't do it wrong. You're exploring the music. You're playing with it. And just like a kid on the playground can't play wrong, you can't dance wrong.
just have fun and listen to the music. The more you do it, the easier it'll become, but it'll never get easier if you don't start in the first place. If you're in love with Amanda after this interview and want to learn more from her or hang out with her on the internet, you can visit the show notes page at thebellydancebundle.com 20. She is constantly putting out new courses, so her newsletter is a great place to hang out to see if any of her upcoming series fit into something that you've been wanting to learn more about. Her course on musicality and style will be part of the 2019 Belly Dance Bundle, which goes on sale tomorrow. That means that by tomorrow afternoon, you could be dancing along with Amanda or any of our other contributors. That's so cool. The bundle this year is almost $1,200 US worth of products for only $174, which is 85% off the price of buying each course individually. And if you want to get geeky with some numbers, I went in and estimated the hours of classes included. And if you only do each lesson once, which several of us will be doing several of these multiple times, you're looking at 70 hours plus of practice time. That's about $2.50 per hour of learning. I mean, that's a steal. I really am Santa Claus. So don't forget to hop on over to the website tomorrow to grab your copy. But until then... Pick a song that you've been obsessed with lately and try mapping out a piece of it.